Welcome to Cowboy Ed, where, well, sometimes when you're on that horse and you're riding through the prairies, you just you just run into to a cowgirl or a cowboy that that you crossed paths with before, and you just can't wait to get them to join your conversation. And that is what happened today. We are so lucky to have Amy Valentine with us to talk about oh all sorts of things in education. Amy, how are you doing? Yeehaw, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, Amy, we we go back uh, a, a ways talking about you know online school and, and doing those things, but your horse is taking you down a different path, which is so exciting, and I think is so relevant to our audience and our listeners, uh, talking about what is the future of school. Not the future of schools by itself, but the future of school. So just share with us, share with everybody listening, just what, what the vision is that got you going down that path. Yeah, I would love to. I'd love to, to share with everybody where we're coming from and where we're going. And actually, interestingly, a lot of it is based upon the time when we were working for online schools. We were teaching. We were honestly, we're pioneers back in, I don't really want to say the year because I don't want to date myself, but um, in the early 2000s, we were building full-time online schools for kids who needed a different option. They needed a different way of learning. They needed a new environment. They needed the use of technology. They needed different curriculum. And James, I don't think we realized it at the time that we were pioneering what the future of school would be. It came so quickly that it was, you know, saw it was seen as a for a very small group of people, for a small group of students. So since having done that back in the early 2000s, like I said, I've always followed the path that has led me to answer this question. How can I be of service? How can I help? support the needs of students? How can I be a voice for families and their students when they need a different way to learn? And so back in 2016, I had the opportunity to launch as executive director, a nonprofit called the Foundation for Blended and Online Learning. That's a pretty big mouthful, isn't it? So the Foundation for Blended and Online Learning was conceptually answer that question. What's the future of education? What does the future of K-12 schooling look like in our country? And this was pre-pandemic, right? So it, we were we were ahead of our times. We there have been a lot of people in the ed tech space, teachers and leaders, you and I run online schools who see the benefit that technology has on the lives of students and, and teachers. But there hasn't been a widespread demand for it. And so that's when Future of School was born. It was taking this traditional foundation, changing the name to something that we knew there would be a need for back in 2018 that would honor and recognize kids learning in different ways, giving resources to teachers and educators that wanted to create those pathways for kids, and then educate our country as a whole about the much needed change in K-12 education. So Amy, this is Maya, and I... I'm thinking through what you're saying and, you know, how forward thinking all of that is to, you know, your story starts within the early 2000s. So that's super amazing. And 
as you're gearing up and then we have this pandemic kind of just thrown right in your path, what did you guys do? How did you react? I mean, you were definitely prepared for the work that needed to happen, but the magnitude of what the pandemic brought to education was something that, you know, I don't think anyone was ready for. So how did you guys adapt or or address all of a sudden everyone needing to know about online and blended and, you know, these different ways of reaching learners? Uh, that's such a great question. And we've all heard those stories about businesses and organizations that have such quick, explosive growth that it ends up being a negative for their long-term business plan, right? Like they experienced so much they couldn't bring to scale the change that was needed to deliver services. Right. But one of the fortunate things as a nonprofit is we were picked up pretty slowly. People would hear our name, they would, they would Google search resources. So we started to generate momentum around what we were always good at, sharing the stories, elevating the voices of students, teachers, and administrators. We, we didn't come out of the, you know, waving a big banner that said, technology is the way of the future. Everybody needs to embrace laptops. Kids need access to innovative tools. We didn't do that because the reality is the system was working well enough for the majority of kids until it wasn't. And so our, our growth when the pandemic hit was relatively slow, but it was steady. It was, it gave us the opportunity to say, what programs do we want to keep as a nonprofit? And what are we going to let fade away because we don't need them anymore? And what we came back to time and time again over the last two years is, who is listening to the kids? Who is listening to the teachers? And where's the voice of parents heard? So that's where we've been able to be really effective is to be laser focused on what are kids saying, what are educators saying, what are parents saying, and take those stakeholders and put their voices forward. I love that you're able to represent those voices because I think that, well, I'll just speak as a parent for a minute. You know, when all of this happens in my my students in my house, right, they're they're used to working online because they're a Google school and they have access and, you know, knowledge already for technology. But the experiences they had moving from being able to go to the school building to doing everything at home didn't mesh with the way that they worked, right? And the way that they use technology or were trained to use technology in the classroom. And so you know, to be able, you know, and no one asked them, right? No one said, hey, is this working for you? The teachers just put things mm -hmm. out or the school district just put things out. And so, you know, no one was even asking them, hey, is this working for you? Or are you even able to get the work done or learning anything? So I love that that is your, you know, your forward piece, right? It, you're really thinking about how learning and education is working for all of those stakeholders. So in that space, Amy, as you're listening to these voices, what's like a big takeaway that you had? What are, let's start with the learners. What are the learners, what, it, what is their voice? What did you hear from them? Sure. Well, I will start with telling you what I learned from not hearing from them. And that is K-12 students and the K-12 education system as a whole 
is the only entity in our society that has not been catalyzed by technology. And that's not to say, it, you know, this platform or that curriculum or this way of teaching is the right way. It's really looking at it as a whole and saying, why do the majority of our classrooms in our country look like they did in the 1800s and 1900s? Why hasn't there been change like we've seen in healthcare, like we've seen in, in commerce, seen in ever, any other entity or an industry? And what we started to realize long before the pandemic was it's the only entity that doesn't take into account the voices of the end user, the client, the customer. It's felt really uncomfortable as a former teacher for me to refer to students as clients or customers or consumers. But the reality is that that's what they are. So having historically not listened to them or not embraced what they say, kids who had taken online and blended classes who would share the story of their journey to empower others. So when the pandemic hit, we said, if we allow what everyone else is saying about laptops and technology and schooling to define what the future of school looks like, they're not only going to be back to pencil and paper, but they're going to be back to pencil and paper times 10 back. Like we're going to slide back 50 years because there was a confusion of I'm learning online versus this is online learning. There's a big difference because the online learning that James and I, where we met in the first forum back in the early 2000s, it was intentional, it was organized, and it was planned. So those are two big differences. So once we started to see people are, adults are saying remote learning or online learning is terrible, we started to say, this is crisis schooling. And once we grounded ourselves in that, kids started saying, you, you hear kids say, this worked for us. I liked learning online. We started to listen to kids. And what we learned from whether they were learning online, at home, in a micro school, in a brick and mortar school, is we heard them saying, I don't like school. And worse yet, we heard a trend. I hate school. In fact, I went on a tour as a guest teacher in several schools. They didn't know that I run Future of School. It was kind of like this kind of undercover, undercover sub, undercover teacher thing. And I just wanted to hear from them. And they would say, I don't like school. It's boring. And you could see the way that they were in the classroom. They want to learn in ways that are relevant for their interests and for what they want to do when they get older and what they want to do in the near future. And so we started to craft this concept of we, until a child stops saying or eradicates the I hate school, I don't like school, it doesn't matter what format they're learning in. If that's what they say, even if they don't mean it, even if it's just a, an hour a day that they're frustrated, they're connected to that. That's influencing their learning environment. So that's what we've been hearing from kids is We've been hearing their voices more, but who is listening to them? And that's the piece where we want to be able to fill in to be advocates and supporters for our students. So, Amy, I, I, yeah, you're preaching to the choir when you're talking to us. But, it, but as I'm listening, I, I know that you've experienced. I know everyone listening, all all the people involved with education have experienced 
on the other side of this, this idea that we don't listen to our customers, we don't listen to our consumers like other industries or, or those because, you know, they're kids. They don't really know what they need. It's our job to do education to them, mm-hmm. to prepare them. How do you answer to that question uh, to the people that are listening that say, I have people that'll say, you know, this is, they shouldn't have as an active voice because they don't really know what they need. If they did, they'd eat their vegetables all the time. That's why we make them eat it. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm smiling and, and, and quietly laughing here because <laughs> the analogy that, that we use is adult who says, well, I had to walk uphill both ways in my brother's shoes and I turned out just fine. You just need to bear down and do it. Your point, they don't trust that they know. They don't trust that they can make decisions about taking a multiple choice test versus doing a project to demonstrate learning. And what I would say to anyone who doesn't believe that kids intrinsically and inherently know how they learn best or are at least able to identify that what's of interest to them doesn't mean that they're always going to be learning things that they love it's how are we creating an environment where they can have choice where they can actively engage i would challenge them to say show me the proof points of where the harm is when we give kids choice when we have a conversation with them about how they like to learn or how they can help create the dynamic nature of the classroom. Because we're not seeing it in the workforce. It was long before the pandemic that mid-sized employers waving their white flag saying, we don't have a ready workforce. When kids are graduating from high school and college, they don't have the skills that they need without really intensive training. So if we were graduating kids who were happy and successful, who needed to hunker down and have education done to them, maybe one could say that that line of thinking has some merit. That's not the case. And I'm not even going to go down the road of test scores because that's a level of, it's a whole other conversation. So that's what I would say to them is we strip technology and innovation out of schools but that's what kids need when they graduate to go into the workforce, to do their online banking, to file their taxes, to you know, go to telehealth appointments, We're not preparing them for the future. Well, and Amy, I think you, you touch on so many important points there, but we oftentimes, you know, education as a whole and, and the workforce talks about, oh, this generation, Generation Z or or the, you know, however we want to describe the millennials and all this. And we always want to say there's all these problems with them. And I think what you just said highlights that we aren't taking into account all the things they're bringing to the table. We're just blaming it on a birthday instead of saying, you know what, maybe for a long time, they've been accustomed to learning different skills and we haven't been harnessing those. We haven't been harnessing any of that to prepare them for the workplace or the world they're actually in, already immersed in, that they're already there. So I, I, I know Maya's horse is bucking a little bit. She's, she's got a question to get to you, so I'll, I'll hand it to her. 
Well, I think that, you know, when you talked about the the grown-up saying, I walked uphill both ways, you know, that kind of thing, my husband would add in the snow and, you know, whatever. Our world, right, that world where they walked up the uphill both ways is really different than the world today. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm going to get back to you listening to all of those voices. Education worked you know, once upon a time. And we have a lot of critique now that it's not working very well. And I, you know, I see what you do really trying to address that and bring in new ideas about how to make it a successful space because you are listening to those consumers, right? The world that they're living in is really different. And so school should be really different. And I'm wondering about those other voices that you've heard, like the parents and the teachers and the stakeholders. And do you run into a lot of resistance about the changes that you're proposing? Or, you know, how do you get that buy-in from teachers to, to really try to create something different in the learning space? That's a really important, critical question. And you framed it so perfectly for me to be able to transition over and share that we've, as a nonprofit, we've been giving grants to teachers who want to shapeshift, who want to transform their classrooms. Maybe they've, maybe they've applied at the district level, or maybe they've applied at the state level, and there's so much bureaucracy, or maybe their school doesn't have a culture of innovation or a culture of empowerment. And they come to us, they find us, they found us through Google searches. That's the number one way that educators who apply for our grants have found us. And they apply and we give them the money. We cut through that red tape. So the educators that we have attracted to our, to our ecosystem are the ones who leverage what we offer as a resource. So not all educators want their classrooms to change or want the system to change. If we really take a hard look at what's best for kids, it is change. It's not pencils and paper. It's finding a different way to give them permission to go to the bathroom without them having to raise their hand and ask. It's creating an environment that fosters and empowers their independence, their critical thinking, their creativity, not their ability to regurgitate information. And, you know, I had a, a mentor once tell me, if you don't have haters, you're not doing it right. And as a recovering people pleaser, that was really hard for me to hear. But the reality is not everyone's going to be on board. If it was easy, somebody else would have already done it. So as far as the educators go, once they see how their kids light up and they start to indoctrinate their voices in the classroom, they can be oftentimes convinced. And as to parents, we actually are partnering with another organization to create a, uh, a platform where parents can connect with other parents, parents of kids who have struggled in school, parents of kids who have been successful in a specific learning environment, parents of kids who, are, um, who have special needs so that they can have this mentorship environment where it's the parents helping the parents. Not that consultants aren't great. But sometimes you just need that go-to resource of a parent who says, I've been there, I've done that a few things you can try. And I say that as a parent of a middle school boy who struggles with dysgraphia, which is like dyslexia, 
And I had never heard of dysgraphia until he was diagnosed with it, of course, right? That's how the universe unfolds. It's like induction by fire. So everything that we offer is in response to what we're hearing there's a need for in a way that will be of service and support of students, educators, and parents. Well, Amy, I am, I, there's just so much good information that you've shared. And I just, I want to give you, I, I know that you, the future of school also has a, a great podcast out there that shares information and shares some of the stories, kids' stories as, and, and parents' stories. But uh, just real quick, if any, there's a teacher or parent, student, anybody listening, and they want more information, what do they need to do? All the parents, students, educators, and the average American that wants to know, what can I do to get involved? Where can I learn more? Visit our website, futureof.school. Like I said, we are a nonprofit. We are selling we are giving away is all centered around the evolution of K-12 education in America. So you're going to see stories. You're going to be able to tap into anecdotes and resources that are available, all of the stakeholders that exist. So again, it's future of at school. And this January, we're going to be launching a students speak podcast where everybody on the podcast is a student. And we're really excited about that because that's how we're going to be continuing on this, this path, continuing down this trail of putting students first. Well, I am just, anybody listening, I just want to know, I just want them to just stop for a second. And if you're thinking about doing school, doing anything different, challenging the norm, you just got to listen to their website. It's futureof.school. Not a lot of dot schools out there because they're doing things different. And we are so appreciative that we had a chance to have Amy on the show and, and share the possibilities uh, and, and, and keep us focused on what's good about education and where we can go and really empowering our kids. But as all good rides, the horses get tired and we've came to the end of our ride now. So let's head them up. Move them on. Move them on. Head them up. Head them up. Move them on. Cowboy on the run. <laughs>